Hey kids, will you pray with me? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, all right? Let's do that. Father, we want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for everything that we have seen and heard and have testified and have proclaimed. God, it is true. There is no God like our God. There is no God but Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who was, the one who is, and very soon will be coming back for his church, for his people. Lord, stir in us today a greater hunger for that day. Stir in us today a greater love for you, desire for you, and a love for our neighbor as we love ourselves. Father, I thank you for all you're doing in this church. God, we give you all the praise and glory. Not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to your name and your name alone be the glory. It is not by our power, not by our might, but by your spirit that you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and your authority guarantees it will succeed. And so now as we open up your word, I pray we would very quickly, very eagerly humble ourselves under its authority. Say what you want to say. I pray we would not have prideful hearts, but God willingly in humility and reverence for your word, come under it and say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, change me. Lord, convict me. Lord, refresh me. Lord, strengthen me. I need you. Spirit of the living God, continue to pour yourself out in this place. I pray for our children as they leave now. I pray in Jesus' name for their teachers that they would preach under the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. Would you save lives and harvest kids today? Would you stir up many conversations about what they've just seen and heard? And may their leaders be faithful to respond and to declare your name. In Jesus' name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, well, before we dive into today's text, let's just give our Harvest Kids a big thank you for joining us here for this part of the service. Amen. We love you guys. We love you guys so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful worship time today. Bless you, Suri. Big day for you. All right. Well, church, last week we looked at the mission that God has given his church. And that mission is to make disciples. And I love the timing of the baptism service today. And that mission that we looked at was the what. What is the purpose of the church? Why does the church exist? And why does God promise to continue to build his church until he comes home, comes back to take us home, I should say. That's the what, make disciples. And this week, we're going to look at the why. Why do we spend our lives on this? Why do we spend our lives making disciples of all nations in the power of God? If I could break that down another way, what is the heart that is to drive the mission? What is the heart behind the mission? And it comes down to one word, love. Love, say that with me, love. Love for God, love for others. Make no mistake, church, Harvest love you so much, but here's the reality. Love is why we do what we do. It has to be 
why we do what we do. But that begs the question, what is love? We look around in society today and this world has a lot of pictures of what love is. So let's get some clarity so we're on the same page. Here's what the world defines love as. From dictionary.com right there. A feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection. Careful, let's read it again. A feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection. Now there's a problem here. There's a problem here because if this is what love really is, then by definition, it is only going to last as long as you feel it. Love, according to this world's definition, will only last as long as you and I are feeling it towards the other person. Okay, question. Think back to your past week. How often were you feeling it with your spouse in the argument? Parents, how often were you feeling it when your kids decided not to listen to you? Let's be honest, this is church, loved ones. Okay? Students, how often were you feeling it when your classmates are ridiculing you for your faith? Here's one. Not that I would know from personal experience. Just saying. How about, how are you feeling that love for the person who cuts you off in traffic? Are you feeling it at that moment because if that's all love is is a feeling it's going to bottom out every time why because feelings change feelings are horrible leaders they're great followers horrible leaders is this really what is the heart to be driving the mission Because we see all around today, loved ones, Christians and entire churches embracing this culture's deception of what love is and rejecting what God tells us love has to be. And even though these believers, these churches may be doing many ministries, many programs, and engaging in many practices for God, they are suffering greatly because when the feeling, get this, when the feeling of affection goes, the faithfulness to the mission goes. When the feeling of, okay, I'm feeling I want to serve God. I'm feeling I want to love people. I'm feeling I want to, when that's on, on hey, I'm all in. But as soon as that feeling dries up, faithfulness to the mission goes it's true in our individual lives it's true collectively and corporately as a church see real love God's love has to drive the mission or the mission as God intended will stop that's a sobering word for us today Real love, God's love, genuine love has to drive the mission of the church to make disciples or the mission as God intended will stop. If I could summarize it this way, I'd say this. Trying to do the right thing with the wrong heart is the wrong thing. Trying to do the right thing with the wrong heart is the wrong 
thing. That's why our text today, our title of this morning's message is The Heart Behind the Mission Love from Matthew 22, 34 to 40. The ushers are coming forward right now. If you do not have a Bible, put your hand up nice and high because they want to put one in your lap. You're going to want to follow along today. Huge, huge text we're going to be looking at today. Make sure you have a Bible in front of you. Matthew chapter 22, 34 to 40. And that's a gift for you. If you do not have a copy of God's Word at home, then please take that so you can continue to study on your own as well. Real love God's love has to drive the mission, or the mission as God intended will stop. Because here's here's the truth. Why is that? Because here's the truth. A genuine love of God sustains us in living on mission for God. A genuine love of God, you see it on the screen, sustains us in living on mission for God. It has to. Because nothing else will. This is way beyond a feeling. And here in this text, Christ gives us the great commandment. And in it, the two commands of love that we must embrace individually and as a church. If we are to fulfill the mission he's given to us to make disciples and see his glory through his church. Ready to go, loved ones? To honor the authority of God's word, let's stand as we read from Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Let's read. The great commandment. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love. Look at that. You shall love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, the mission of the church must be fulfilled through love. Big idea today. Mission of the church must be fulfilled through love. We must love God with all that we are. Total devotion. How's that for a big statement to start off? We must love God with all that we are. Total devotion. The key truth for this, if I could say this point in a sentence, it would be this. Christ commands our affection over our performance. Don't forget it, loved ones. Christ always commands our affection over our performance. Look at verses 34 to 38. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Let's get some context. We always want to read scripture in context. And so here's Jesus. This is going on during Holy Week. Now, if you're wondering what week is Holy Week, it's the week leading up to Christ's crucifixion. This is on the Tuesday of the Holy Week that he's given to this. And Jesus Christ is in Jerusalem at the temple. And he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And here he is. Think, imagine the context. Here he is, three days before he's about to be crucified. And he's preaching and teaching about love. Awesome. What a savior. 
He's about to be laid on a cross three days from now. And here he is. But, but here's the issue. As he's teaching, the religious leaders of the day are starting controversies with him. Why? Because this is a radical message. This is a radical message of love. And so people are flocking to Jesus, which means if they're flocking to Jesus, they're flocking away from the leaders. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, as we're about to see in a moment. And you have to understand, the Pharisees prided themselves on their reputation. The more people that could follow them, the better they felt. So this was a huge threat. And so here, they're engaging, trying to discredit or incriminate Jesus, ultimately to bring him to trial and to kill him. And so let's look at these groups. Look at verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. The first group we see here is the Pharisees. Now, you may have different pictures of what, who the Pharisees were, but what Pharisee means is they were known as the keepers of the law. The keepers of God's law. And actually, the Greek word for Pharisee is Pharisaos, which means, ready, ready, ready? Separate from sin. They didn't even view themselves as sinning. They were considered separatists. We've got this sin thing figured out and under control. Any separatists in the room this morning? Any separatists? No? No? Praise the Lord. We're all on the same page. Amen. Love your honesty, church. All right? That's the reality. We're purists. This is all for the common folk. And at this time, there's about 6,000 Pharisees in Jerusalem. They, and they relied on their observance of external rituals, such as fasting and prayer, and they prided themselves on their ability to uphold the law. And they sought the praise of man so much. They wanted people to see them praying in the streets and be like, wow, you're holy. This is what they wanted. And now we see a separate group a second group, and it's this. But when the Pharisees heard, verse 34, that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Who are the Sadducees? Well, this is a, these are wealthy aristocrats in Jerusalem. They had political power. Wealthy men, political power, and they opposed the Pharisees. So now you see the rivalries in these leaders. The Sadducees are opposing the Pharisees because the Sadducees rejected tradition. Everything the Pharisees were working so hard to uphold. The Sadducees rejected that, and the Sadducees rejected almost everything supernatural, including any resurrection. They rejected all. So you can see the tension going here. So when the Pharisees get an idea that, oh, he silenced the Sadducees, now let's take a crack at Jesus to show our power over these Sadducees, and we'll trick him. We'll test him. Start to see the rivalry? This is what's prompting the question. That's why context is so important, loved ones, when you read God's word. All right? So they're taking a crack at Jesus. Notice who they send. Look at verse 35. Lawyers always get a bad rap. And one of them, a lawyer, they send the lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Now, we have to understand here, the lawyer that they send is a scribe. And he's an expert in interpreting Old Testament law. Okay? He's an expert in interpreting Old Testament law. And so they're not just sending out some junior varsity, new to the crowd Pharisee to go get Jesus. They're sending out their A-list big gun to go stump him. The expert in the law. Now look at 36. This is what he asks them. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Do you think the lawyer is asking the question to actually learn? 
No. You ever done that? You ask a question, but you're not really interested in hearing the answer because you've got your mind made up of what you're doing already. Right? So here's the lawyer. Which is the great commandment? Flattering Jesus. Teacher. He didn't want to learn a thing from him. He's trying to incriminate him. Now, the law we have to understand is this. Let's get clarity. The law is the law of God, which God gave Moses when the Israelites were in the wilderness, roaming in the desert for 40 years in the Sinai, and he gave the law, and this law described how the people were to live in relationship with him. And if you want to look at the law, it's found in the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's all the law. And in that law, when you think law, if you're anything like me, I grew up thinking, well, that just means the Ten Commandments. That's part of it. There's Ten Commandments, but get this. There's also six 113 other commandments. Did you know that? In the law of God. So you've got 10 commandments, and then you've got 613 other ones. And the lawyer asks Jesus what the great commandment is. You say, why is that? Because the Pharisees, what they did, they were so committed to wanting to uphold the law and be pious and prideful, but they weighted God's laws. This one's not as weighty as this one. So we'll make this one heavier on people and we'll instruct them. This one's lighter? Okay, fine. He's asking, he's coming and he's like, what's the great command? You know what the word for great there is? The Greek word? Megos. So that's where we get our word mega from. So he's like, what's the mega commandment, Jesus? Out of all 623 commandments, what's the mega one? What's the big one? What is the number one most important command we should be doing or keeping? That's key. Doing or keeping to live godly lives. What do we have to do? And look at Jesus' stunning response. 37 and 38. And Jesus said to him, you shall love. Stunning. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. This is the megos commandment. This is the one that trumps them all. Now we have to understand what love is. Again, we talked about this earlier. Let's get God's definition. We got cultures, now let's get God's. Greek word for love is agapeo. Agapeo is the Greek word for love that Jesus uses here. And it means this, the de- to desire the Lord. That means to long for the Lord and take pleasure in doing what he prefers by embracing his will. And obeying him through his power and direction. Now notice, the obedience is secondary there. The affection is first. To long for the Lord. To desire him. To take pleasure in. Hey, question. Prompt the heart. Does your heart long for the Lord in this way today? Does it long for him? Does it desire him more than anything? Where's the affection of your heart? See, what we see here from this definition that Jesus uses, this word, the love for the Lord is to overflow into a life for the Lord. The love for God must overflow into the life lived for God. You can't switch that up. The Pharisees were great at switching it up. Do, 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 do. Coming from what? Doing the right thing with the wrong heart. Why do you think Jesus ridiculed them so much? 
because it's doing the wrong thing. If there's anyone who could earn their way to heaven, it was the Pharisees. If there's anyone who could have Jesus' approval, if this isn't true, it was the Pharisees. And he rebukes them over and over again. See, and all of the parts Jesus described here in verse 37, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He's just giving the picture. He's not talking about three separate entities. He's giving the complete picture that we are to love him with our whole or complete being. That is literally every part of us. Stop. What a radical statement. He's like, Jesus is like, I want all of you. I want you to love me with everything you have and everything you are before you even think about trying to live in obedience to me. It has to overflow from a heart of love for me. See, see, live in the text. Look what he's saying. Instead of saying that the greatest commandment was rooted in a task, in a ritual, or in a performance, greatest commanded is to love and desire him with nothing less than all that we are and all that we have. Nothing less than all that we are and all that we have. See, how radical is this? Because I don't, you can search all around this world. You can look at other religions, but here's the reality. All of them end up this way. Do, 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 do. Earn, 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 earn. Strive, 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 strive. When Jesus says, not do, Jesus says, done. Because of his saving work on the cross, Jesus is like, I don't want your deeds. I want your heart. When your heart is locked into me, your deeds then begin to give me glory. See, God always goes back to the heart. Jesus always goes back to the heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, loved ones. Where is your treasure today? Where is it? See, let's break this down. Exactly, get some clarity. It's pretty amazing when you break it down. Heart, soul, and mind. You'll see it on the screen. You can write this down. What he's talking about here is the center of our character. The center, the seat of our character, where all of our character, all of our integrity, all of our actions outflow from. The center of our character. Here it is. This is a huge one right here. Identity. Identity. Who we are grounded in. All of our identity. And we'll get into this in a moment. There's nothing Satan attacks more than your identity. Why? We'll see that in a moment. Character, identity, how about this? All of your personality, what we are like, is to be loving the Lord with all of our personality, the humor that he's given us, not to be used for crude talking, the the expressions that he's hardwired into us as our personality, all to point to a love for our king. And then from this, all of our mind, all of our mind, our thoughts, How's your thought life this past week, loved ones? Did your thought life point to your king in love? Or was it about yourself? Jesus wants it all. And he doesn't just want it all. He deserves it all. He's got all authority. He's the king. How about this? All of our emotions. All of our will, which includes emotions, thoughts, Actions, words, all of our will. 
Why are you doing what you're doing? Jesus is saying here. What is the why behind the what? Is that out of a love for me? A desire for me first as your first love? Or is this to prop yourself up? A love for yourself. A love for something else that isn't me first. See, this is cutting. This is just cutting what Jesus is saying here. Don't miss it. See, everything about us Everything we do in every second of our lives. Anyone feeling a little overwhelmed right now? Yep. Maybe just me. Every second of our lives will be an expression of our love for God. And we will love nothing else or no one else more than him. It is a life that in every single part, in every single way, is totally devoted to him. Wow. This is why I love, we have baptisms today. Do you know what baptisms represent? This is what these three people have just declared they are giving their lives towards. Devoting themselves to growing. I love how Mary Claude said, it's not about perfection, it's about perseverance. God's not looking for perfection. If he was, we wouldn't need him. He's looking for perseverance. Say, okay, that thought didn't go the way it's supposed to. Repent of it, let's go. I'll give you the strength to do it. That action, that word, that anger outburst. mm -mm -mm. Let's repent of that, confess it, and let's get going together. It's not about perfection, loved ones. It's about perseverance. They've devoted their lives to growing in their love for the Lord in every part of them through the power of Christ that lives in them. If I could sum up baptisms, it'd be like this. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Loved ones, we must remember this truth right here. You'll see it on the screen. The greatest thing Christ commands is our affection, not our performance. A genuine life for God. Get this. A genuine life for God always flows out of a genuine love for God. A genuine life for God always flows out of a genuine love. Love for God. So question, what is competing for your total devotion to Christ and having him as your first love? Just be honest with him. Not in pride. Like, Well, just don't make excuses. Just be honest. Get before him right now and just ask him and say, what's competing for my devotion to you? What is it? Maybe for some of us it's this. Let me rephrase that. What is your identity based in? Try that. What is your identity based in right now? How about this? Social status? If I just have enough friends on Facebook, I'm going to feel good about myself. If I just have enough people asking me to come do things, I'm going to be okay. If I just get this job and have this status, then my identity is secure. If I just have enough money in my bank account, then my identity is okay. What's it based in? Is it based in, well, as long as people think good of me, is it based in what what? people say about you or is it based in what God has said about you what is it based in because listening to who the culture said loved ones this is freedom this is gold right here truth that will change your life by the power of the Holy Spirit listening to what the culture says you are or who the culture says you are is the quickest way to forget who God says you are 
Listening to who the culture says you are, listening to that person who cuts you off in traffic says you are when they lash out at you, listening to who your kids say you are, begging for a compliment from them to affirm your identity, which is never meant to be placed in them, listening to who your spouse says you are. If my spouse just affirms me, then my identity is secure. Uh Uh-uh, loved one. Misplaced identity. It's going to the Lord and saying, Jesus, I am your daughter. I am your son. I am alive in you. I am free in you. And I don't need to seek the approval of man. Because I am who you say I am. And that doesn't change. Feelings will change. But the love of Jesus Christ for his children never does. You were bought with a price, loved one. And maybe you're here and you are feeling just beat down. You've had hurtful things said to you all week. You've had your kids rebel against you. You've had your classmates come against you. But at the end of the day, Jesus always has the final say. And if you are in Jesus Christ, he says, you are mine and who I say you are. And that, loved ones, placing our identity in him, not if you get a spouse, students. Your identity isn't in you getting married. Your identity isn't in you being able to have kids. Your identity is in who Jesus says you are. And that's going to be the same whether you're single or married. You're still his daughter, redeemed, forgiven, and loved. Not based on your social, st- not based on your looks, not, not the clothes you wear, the job you have. Maybe, maybe for some of us, our first love is for ourself, our ways, our agenda, our desires. Maybe that's, maybe that's what our first love is, ourself. Well, I see what Jesus wants from me, but I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm just going to do my own thing because it's more convenient for me. It's too tough to live for Jesus. I'll live with, for him over here, but I'll, I'll give him this part, but not all my heart, because that would be a real sacrifice. Hey, let's talk to Jesus about sacrifice, shall we? See, we must realize, loved ones, if this is the greatest commandment God has given us, then it is the greatest thing Satan will come after. This makes sense. If God says this is the mega commandment to love him with all we are, this is the greatest thing Satan's coming after. He's going to say, no, don't put your identity in who Jesus says you are. Put your identity on your waist size. Do that. Put your identity on your status with that job. Put your identity in the size of house you have. Put your identity on what other people say about you. Because God forbid anyone disagree with you. It won't last. And it's the greatest thing Satan attacks. Why? Why does Satan attack this so much? You look, I love how Pastor R.A. Torrey put it this way. You see it on the screen. He says this. If loving God with all your heart and soul and might is the greatest commandment, then it follows that not loving him is the greatest way, is the greatest sin. Let me say it again. Let that hang over us. If loving God with all our heart and soul and might is the greatest commandment, then it follows that not loving him that way is the greatest sin. No wonder Satan attacks it. 
every day. What are you basing your identity in right now, loved ones? Who are you listening to? What are you banking on? No one can serve two masters. See, because here's the freedom of our identity in Jesus Christ. The old has gone. The old Didn't we just see this in baptism? Isn't it amazing? The old has gone and the new has come. The old person, apart, separated from God, would give in to that identity. They would give in to what people think about them so much. They would give in to, I gotta have, I gotta have, I gotta have, I gotta look, I gotta look, I gotta, I gotta have. That's the old person. That person is dead if you are in Jesus Christ. That person's gone. That mindset, that sinful thinking has no hold over you or me anymore. Only if we give it a voice, loved ones. Only if we give it a voice. The new has come. Free in Jesus Christ. A new identity, a new name, a new life. That person's dead. The new has come. And see, when you know whose you really are, when you know whose you really are, loved ones, when I know whose I really am, I can stop striving for who I don't have to be. When I know whose I really am, I can stop striving for who I don't have to be. That's the beauty of loving the Lord with all our heart. That is the beauty of freedom in Jesus Christ. I can stop striving for who I don't have to be. I am who God says I am. And my first pursuit is him. What a gift from our Savior. And so in response to this, we must understand the means by which God is given to us. You say, I want to grow in my love for God. I want to walk in this freedom. What does this look like? Well, God gives us four main ways. Four main ways we grow in our love for him. You say, how do I fuel, fan into flame my love for the Lord? Number one is this. You'll see him on the screen. Four ways we grow in our love for God. Here it is. Number one, through his son. Through his son. John 15, 5 says this. Jesus says, you'll see it on the screen. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. Abide means to remain, to stay under. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Here's a stunning word for us today in our performance-driven culture. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Loved ones, you and I can't love the Lord without the power of God in our lives. It's not like you and I are going to wake up or leave this sermon today and be like, I'm just going to love the Lord more today. Good luck. Your flesh will be like, don't think so we got to say, Lord, give me this love for you. And it comes through the power of the one who is love, God himself, Jesus Christ, in us as we repent of our sin and confess him as our Lord and Savior. He gives us the strength. He gives us the power. He gives us the perseverance. And he gives us the desire to love because it's humanly impossible. Our love for God must come from God. It's a supernatural love. Number two, God's given us to help us grow in our love for him. Through his son, number two, through his word. Through his word. I love, I was so blessed by Jeremiah 15, 16 today. You'll see it on the screen. Look at what Jeremiah says right here. Your words, God's words, were found, and look what he does. I ate them. Do you ever get that? Like you're super hungry, and you go to the fridge, and you're like, yes! Right, you're like, I ate them. This is what Jeremiah's saying. Your words were found, and I'm like, 
ingesting them. I'm eating them, and your words became to me. A j- Look what happens. Look what happens when God's living and active word gets in our lives. And we don't just do it out of a legalistic, well, I got to get on my God time today. But when we're like, I f- God has given me his word. I'm going to ingest this baby today. When we get in front of that, look what happens. A joy, and they became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. See what happens? Is God's word a delight to you? Is it a delight? Are you asking him for it to be a delight? He will grant that. And as the living and active word gets in us, we become living and active in our love for God. You cannot separate the two. They became a delight. And you're like, some mornings, hey, loved ones, don't, don't sit under condemnation on this. If you like wake up some mornings, I'm just like, I just feel so dry. Is God even speaking? Hey, I go through those seasons too. But this is where faith has to take over. Saying, I may not be feeling it right now to get out of this bed, but I know what, script, what food is to the body, scripture is to the soul. And it's going to be good for me, and God's going to use it. Lord, bring on a delight in your word for me today. And if you're wondering, like, how do I start? How do I start getting in the word of God every day? I'm going to say it again, loved ones. God Time 101 books are at the back at the Connections desk. We want to give you this tool. It's just to get you started. What does a quiet time look like? Get consistent in your Bible reading that his words would become a joy and delight. Beautiful. To delight in God's word is to delight in God himself. No wonder Satan works so hard to keep us out of God's word. No wonder Satan works so hard. I'm going to get up early. Really? I'm going to tempt you to sleep in. I'm going to set this time aside for prayer. Watch what I do with the dog. Right? Like this is the distractions that come. This is why Satan works so hard to keep you out. Because this is the only thing that can fuel it under the power of God. This is where it has to start. Too many Christians, if we're not placing our identity in who God says we are, we're going to place it in something because we're hardwired to. Through his son, through his word, Four ways we grow in our love for God. Thirdly, through prayer. Through prayer. Look at Hebrews 4, 16. It says this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice that? Notice that? Here's the great, loved ones, if you've been around here for like two months or more, maybe three months, maybe a year, um, you will have heard this before and I'm going to say it again. One of the greatest prayers you could ever pray is this, Lord, help me to love you more. Honestly, there it is. You will approach the throne of grace with confidence. Lord, think about in that moment when you're tempted to listen to that condemning word over you as a mom or over you as a wife or over you as a student. When, you're te- when your flesh is like, yeah, you gotta listen to this, put your identity to this. In that moment, remember this verse and go to war for your heart and say, Lord, I can approach the throne of grace with confidence right now knowing that I'm gonna receive grace and find mercy to help in time of need. Help me to love you more than this. Help me to love you more than this in this moment. The anxiety that's coming, the fear that's coming, the worry that's coming, help me to love you more than that. Freedom, loved ones. Freedom in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not legalism, it's love. Look at what Pastor Thomas Vincent said this. If you would have much love to Christ in your hearts, You must be often at the throne of grace upon your knees. What a beautiful statement. If you were to have much love to Christ in your hearts, you must often be at the throne of grace upon your knees and there humbly, see that humility? There it is again. 
humbly acknowledge, if not the lack, yet the weakness of your love to Christ. Bewail your sin, that means repent of your sin, which dampen your affections and earnestly request that he would work your hearts unto a strong love. We cannot do this on our own. Earnestly implore the Lord, give me a greater love for you today. Show me who I am in you today. That my whole identity would be, that my will, that my emotions, that what I say, that what I think, that how I act, all for you. Through the Son, and maybe some of you are here today and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Can I say two things in love? Number one, you're not here by accident. I'm so glad you're here. You're not here by accident. You say, well, I just came with my friend. No, you came because God allowed you to come. He has this word for you, and he's saying, stop running. Stop putting your identity in that which can't satisfy. Come home. I gave my life for you. I love you. Will you turn to me today? Will you let go of your pride and your heart and heart and stop running and come home? So you can begin to live in true freedom. That's your first step, loved ones. See, the mission of the church must be fulfilled through love. Where do you need to ask? As you look at those four things, or three things so far, where do you need to ask the Lord God for help in growing in your love for him? Ask for his power and then act, because here's the fourth thing. Four ways we grow in our love for the Lord. Last one is through obedience. Through obedience. Look at the verse, Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we, the church, believers, are to grow up in every way into him who's the head, into Christ, there's obedience. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. So look at this. So that it builds itself up in, say it together, in love. Love for God, love for each other. That's what happens. The more we obey God, the more we grow in our love for God. Because we see his commandments are not burdensome. The mission of the church must be fulfilled through love. We must love God with all we are. Where do we need to look at that list and say, Lord, help me to love you more to pursue you in that way. Fan that into flame. Prayer, word, confessing your son, obeying. All that we are, total devotion. As God increases our love for him, he will ensure that it overflows into increasing love for others. Last point for today. The mission of the church must be fulfilled through love. We must love others as we love ourselves. You before me. The key truth for this statement is this. To grow in love for Christ is to grow in love for others. To grow in love for Christ is to grow in love for others. Look at verses 39 and 40. And a second is like it. So he gives the first command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and a second is like it. You shall, look at the imperative right there, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See, Jesus then goes on to give the Pharisee the second command in the great commandment, which is just as humanly impossible as the first one. If you think Jesus is going to ease off the gas at all, it's not happening. It's just as humanly impossible. He says, love, the same word for love, agapeo, to take pleasure in, to long for, to actively do what God prefers. Let's reinsert that meaning. Here it is. You shall long for, take pleasure in, and do what God prefers to your neighbor as you would do to yourself. 
long for, take pleasure in, and do what God prefers to your neighbor as you would to yourself. Humble yourself and have the posture of you before me. Now, who's a neighbor? Who's the neighbor? The person who lives beside you? When you go to Halloween trick-or-treating or anything like that, like to that, is that the neighbor? No, no, no. Here's the Greek word for neighbor. You'll see it on the screen. Any other person, irrespective, get this, irrespective of race, religion, sex, or age, with whom we live or have a chance to meet. Every single person you see, just look around you. Look to the person next to you, both sides, and say, you're my neighbor. You're my neighbor. That's the reality. When you go into the grocery store today, those are your neighbors. When you go down into the, into the neighborhood in your, in your subdivision, those are your neighbors. Your classmates, those are your neighbors. Irrespective. Yeah, but they're not the same as me. Irrespective of any differences. And here's the thing, though. <laughs> This doesn't apply, this isn't, Jesus isn't like, hey, love your neighbor as yourself as long as they're over four feet tall. This is irrespective of age, loved ones, which means, guess what? Children, which I'm so blessed to see flooded the front of this place today, are your neighbors. And they deserve as much love and care and respect as adults do. Loved ones, we must understand this. Children are never a problem to God. They are precious to him. And the church, the church should be the most loving place for children, for people. Because of this command right here. If they matter to God, they must matter to us. And if that means on a day at party with the pastors, I gotta buy a few more bags of chips because there's some little hands that are gonna go into the box and take all the Doritos. Don't think I don't notice. <laughs> take the, I'm okay to do that. Are you? If that means you're trying to set up to something and a little kid comes by and knocks a bottle over that you thought... Are you going to get upset and lose your temper and get grumpy? So when they think of the body of Christ, they're like, oh, those people are just old grumpy people. Why would I want to be around them? Really? Really? Not on my watch, loved ones. Not on ours. Children are precious to God. They are never a problem. And they should be so fired up to get to church because they know every single person. You know, I was so blessed, so blessed. Walked down the hall last week. There's one of our Harvest Kids workers, just like this, talking to a preschooler. Not talking like this. So, oh yeah, or even worse. Oh, there's a kid. On the knees, face to face, tell me about Harvest Kids today. Love your neighbor as yourself. And here, we don't, you ever notice in the church you can build these cliques? We just hang around the same people all the time. This is, loving your neighbor is irrespective of if people are the same as you. Here's my challenge to you, church. Bust out of your cliques. After service today, go and meet three people you don't know and introduce yourself. There's a good start. Seriously, not even joking. 
do it. Because this is what the church is supposed to be. Because you're not going to get it in the world. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see a kid running down the hall? High five. How's Harvest Kids? Watch them light up like a firecracker. Just make sure you don't get punched. But praise the Lord. If you get punched, it's all right. You're taking one for the team. Come on. Right? Love on them. As you love yourself, I am so glad to have them in the service. They should feel protected, cared for, and listened to. Let's be clear on something, though. Notice what Jesus isn't saying here. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if for some of us here sitting today being like, that means I need to love myself more so I can love other people more. Wrong. Uh, You notice something? Search. Check me on this. The Bible never says one time, not once, work hard to love yourself more. You won't find that in the Bible, period. Anywhere, period. Why? Because our flesh does a wonderful job of that already. Jesus never commands us to love ourselves more. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He's assuming we're going to love ourselves just fine. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, this command means that Christians are to measure, get this, measure their love for others by what they would wish for themselves. And they have a responsibility, here it is, they have a responsibility to seek the greatest good of their neighbor. Not just, oh, here, I'll give some leftovers. The greatest good of their neighbors. Regard, oh, here's, remember I told you feelings will bow out? This is a command by our king of how we are to love each other, regardless about how we feel about the person in the moment. Irregardless of whether we think they deserve our love or not. Because here's the truth. Here's the truth, loved ones. You and I deserve Christ's love much less than that person deserves my love to them. You and I deserve Christ's love much less than that person deserves my love to them. That's the truth. That's the measure of our lives. That's what it's called to be. The saving love of Christ to be the measure of our lives. And this is where we understand love is primarily a choice, not a feeling. Jesus Christ chose to come to earth willingly in humility. Love is not primarily a feeling. I don't care what the culture says. Love is a choice. We must choose to love. Break it down. You before me. What does this look like practically? Let's street level. The opportunities you would like to have, give them to others. The patience, the care, the service, the listening you would like to be shown, show that to others. The investment you would like others to make in your life, invest into their life. The humility you wish people would show to you, show it to others. You before me. You before me. See, look, at our, look around today. Just look at the culture, loved ones. We live in a world that is crying out for the love of the Savior, and yet it is cultivating the very attitudes that drive us away from him. And Christ has chosen us to be his instrument in displaying it to the world. The church is literally the only hope the world has of seeing it. And you know, as I thought about this, just think. Loved ones, eyes up here for a moment. Love the fact you're taking notes. I want to see. Just think. What could happen? 
What could happen to this church? What could happen to your neighborhood? What could happen to your family? What could happen to this nation if God's people unleashed by the power of God this love on one another, on their neighbors? What could happen? What could Jesus do? So question, who has God put in front of you right now to be an instrument of his love towards? And you know what? We had a tornado in this city a couple days ago. I love how Kevin prayed for them today. We keep praying for them, but here's, there's a great opportunity right there. Who needs that loving word of encouragement? Who needs that practical help? You know, I love to hear, I walked in here today and as needs of people, even in our own church and in the neighborhoods of people where they live, as they've been made known, I just love the fact I walked in here and the first five people I saw, I was like, my fridge and freezers are so full of food because all my neighbors are bringing it over to my house because I got power and they don't and we had them over for a meal and we, like literally, five, I just, I'm so blessed by that. That's a practical act of loving someone as yourself and not saying, I got power, I'm good. Really? Do you still have a house? How about using your hands to help someone who doesn't? The needs are all around us. And we are called to be the instruments. And if you're here and you have needs and you haven't made them known yet, just email info at harvestauto.ca. We want to rally around that and be able to help any way we can. What's your next step that you need to humble yourself and display God's love towards them in? And some of you here may say this, it's just too hard. If you only knew how frustrated I am with them, if you only knew, Pastor Ray, that's easy for you to say, if you only knew how much that person's hurting me, day after day, the stinging comment, the deafening silence, if you only knew, easy for you to say, love them as I love myself, really? Loved ones, it's not easy for me to say. Remember, it is not about perfection but about perseverance in the power of Christ. And here's some great gospel good news. You'll see it on the screen. Be encouraged. God will not command from you what he is not willing to first do in you. God will not command. He will look at that impossible situation. He's like, hey, loved one, are you going to trust me? I have authority over it. Will you go back to what I promised to bless? That strained relationship I'm over that. Loved one, this is exactly why Jesus went to the cross for you and I and made his power available to us so that our love for others wouldn't be based on how we feel about that person in the moment, but it would be based on how Christ looks at them in that moment and his heart for them is always love. Even the ones that hurt us the most. And I don't say that lightly and it's not to minimize anything that you have or are going through. Because here's the good news, last verse, 40. Jesus goes on to say, on these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus finishes by saying that even though the fulfillment of the entire moral law of God hangs upon these two commands, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus also said that he didn't leave us to ourselves to do it on our own. Mission impossible without him. Jesus himself did the impossible and fulfilled these commands perfectly when he stated this, Matthew 5, 17. Be, be, cherish this verse for us today, loved ones. This is what makes this possible. Jesus says, do not think I have come to abolish the law 
or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I have not come to abolish it so you can just unhitch from the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish it so you can just forget everything that God's word says up until Jesus Christ comes. I have not come to abolish those things. The command still holds, but I have fulfilled them, and now I'm ready to see them fulfilled through you if you trust me and humble yourself under my authority. It is through the power of Jesus Christ alone that the mission of the church to make disciples is fulfilled through loving God with all that we are, with a total devotion to him, and loving others as we love ourselves, you before me. And in Christ alone, we can now love God and others this way. Why? We'll leave with this. We can love because he first loved us and gave himself up for us when we definitely didn't deserve it. This is the heart behind a mission, loved ones. You in? Let's pray. Father, what a command. What a call. Just so sobered by the truth that we could be doing the right thing with the wrong heart and it is the wrong thing. Father, I pray right now all over this place that the prayer that would be going up is, Lord, help me to love you more. Help me to love you more than my own reputation. Help me to love you more than anything I have. Help me to love you more than any other relationship. Help me to love you more so that I can, as that vertical love fills my heart, it overflows into a growing love for others. Whether a children, whether a child, whether an adult, whether a senior, whether a neighbor in need, whether a classmate who's who's been ridiculing us, a spouse that may be hurting us. Oh God, I pray in Jesus' name that God, you would give us the power to say, help me to love you more right now. Clinging to your word, obeying by your spirit, and seeing your mission fulfilled for your church. Pray this would be a moment of healing right now. If, if people are feeling some sting of hurt that has happened, God, they just let those tears go to you knowing that you keep every tear in a bottle. You write every one of our sighs in your book and you still say, love me, love me and I will show you the way of life. I will give you what you need. And for those people who are here who've never confessed you as their Lord and Savior, I pray today you would just open their eyes. Oh God, open their eyes to see the saving love of Christ that is available for them. They don't have to clean themselves up. Just available for them right there saying, it is I, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In Jesus' name.